0: Today's reading is from Ephesians 5:15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we do submit ourselves to you now, and we submit ourselves to your word. I'm reminded, Lord, of the time when the Many of your disciples were leaving, and you looked at the twelve, and you said to them, Will you also leave me? And they said, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. And we say that to you this morning as well, Father. There's all kinds of wisdoms out there that are competing for our attention, but you have the words of life. And so I pray that we would all venerate You deeply in our hearts now by venerating Your Word now. If we will seek to understand what Your Word says, and if we will seek by Your grace to obey it, then You will be glorified and others will be helped and our joy will increase greatly. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and the woman. And so I pray now, Father, that You would cause every single one of us in this room to delight in the law of the Lord now. We submit ourselves to Your Word. Come and teach us, I pray. And as I have been praying for most of this week, Father, I pray that You would do great things in this church over this summer as we study worship. I pray that You would shape us in such a way that 20 and 30 and 50 years from now, the effects are still being felt. Your Word is powerful and You can do that. And so I pray that, Father, for the glory of your name, I pray that. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our God, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. I have been looking forward to this Sunday for many months now, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that this Sunday is finally here. And the reason I'm so excited is because... This Sunday, we begin a summer-long series on one of my favorite subjects, and in fact, one of the most important subjects in the Bible, namely worship. And I just love to think and talk about living a life of singing and praising God and living a life of bowing ourselves down before Him and submitting to Him. I love to think and talk about the nature and purpose of expressing our love for God I love to think and talk about the nature and purpose of giving thanks to God in all circumstances of life, even in suffering. I love to think about the nature and the purpose of submitting ourselves to God and, and submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for God. I love the subject of worship with all my heart. And I think the main reason I love to think and talk about these things is because true worship only flows out of the heart of a person who has seen something of the glory of God in the face of Christ. True worship only flows out of the heart of a people who are ever living under the fountain of the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And therefore, when we talk about worship, we must first talk about the object of our worship, and the object of our worship is Almighty God. We must think and talk about His being and His glory and His manifold excellencies and His mighty works and His endless mercy to us in Christ and His steadfast love and everything that makes up who He is. And that is mainly why I love the subject of worship so much. And it's mainly why I say that worship is one of the most important subjects in the entire Bible. The study of worship is essentially the study of God. You cannot divorce these two things one from the other. The earth, as you know, is, even as we speak, basking in the light of the sun. The earth is literally, right this moment, soaking in the light of the sun. But not only is the earth receiving light from the sun, it actually does reflect a portion of that light back to the sun. If you and I were to stand on the surface of the sun and look back to the earth, we wouldn't be able to perceive the light coming to us because the light of the sun would totally overwhelm our senses and and we couldn't perceive it, but it would be there nonetheless. And worship in the life of a believer is like that light that's reflected from the earth back to the sun. It is simply the overflow of a heart that is ever receiving the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And so again, I say that to talk about that overflow, to talk about worship, we must talk first about the source of that overflow, about Almighty God. And how I pray that as we do that over the next several months, that God would shape this church in such a way that it impacts us for a very long time to come. And in fact, beloved, I want to call upon you, and I really mean this, I want to ask you to add to your prayer life this prayer that God would in the coming months do great big things among us at this church. I believe that God could use His Word this summer to so shape our minds and shape our hearts with regard to worship that the impact of it could be felt for decades in this church. And that is not some preacherly exaggeration. I mean that. I was thinking this morning about some sermons that Pastor John Piper preached in the early 80s at Bethlehem Baptist Church that to this day mark the operational life of Bethlehem Baptist Church. God's Word is powerful and He can do great things and I want to call on you to pray with me that this summer God will do great church-shaping things among us this morning. Do not allow yourselves to think small things about God when He is so great. And He is so able. So please, join me in praying that as we faithfully study His Word around the subject of worship, that He will shake this church and shape this church so that future generations will feel the impact of it. With this hope in mind, with this prayer in mind, I want to begin this series of sermons by showing you how I get to the subject of worship from Ephesians 5, and then I want to just very quickly sketch out the train of thought that I think will follow over the summer, and finally I want to spend the latter part of our time, about 15 minutes, talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of worship. As I have been saying over the last few weeks, in my view, Ephesians 5:15 to 21 Gives shape and body to the commandments that Paul gives us in verse 8 and verse 12. Namely, that we who are in Christ should walk as children of light. And the flip side, that we should not take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then I think what Paul's trying to do in the next verses is show us what that kind of life looks like. And he gives us four specific things. Verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And finally, in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. That's what it looks like, at least in part, to walk as children of light and to expose the darkness. Now, in verses 19 to 21, Paul goes on to mention four specific activities that both cause us to be filled with the Holy Spirit... And serve as evidences of the fact that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. There are four of them. A. To be filled with the Spirit, we must speak to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The truth of the things of God must always be found on our lips. B. To be filled with the Spirit, we must sing and make melody to the Lord in our hearts, in the secret places of our lives. C. To be filled with the Spirit, we must learn to give thanks always and for everything, even difficult things like tornadoes. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, D, to be filled with the Spirit, we must submit to one another out of a spirit of reverence and humility before Christ. Now I said that in order to To be filled with the Spirit, we must do these things. I could just as well have said that if we are filled with the Spirit, we will do these things. Because none of what I've just mentioned is possible in our flesh, right? It, It is not possible to live a life where you're ever singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody to the Lord and thanking Him for everything and submitting to one another. It's impossible to do that without Christ. And so they are both causes and evidences of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Now, the banner that I would put over all that is the word worship. Because to live a life where our mouths are filled with His praise and our hearts are filled with His praise and our prayers are filled with thanksgiving and our hearts are filled with humility, that is to live a life of worship. The word worship does not only refer to things like singing and clapping hands, and preaching and taking the lord's supper it refers to all of life it refers to singing indeed but it refers also to our speech it refers to thanksgiving it refers to our life of submission it refers to everything that has to do with our lives worship is about the totality of our lives nothing escapes the subject of worship in the old testament there are essentially two words for worship. The first is abad. And abad means to obey or to serve. And the context of that service in the Bible is almost always a master-slave relationship. In other words, this word refers to obedience or service on the part of one who is profoundly submitted to the one that he or she is serving. He obeys or serves not just because he wants to, but because he must. He is in a relationship where he must. He is indentured to the person that he's serving. And that is one of the main words that's used to describe worship in the Old Testament. The second word is shachah, And shachah means to bow down or to kneel down or to prostrate oneself before a superior and usually before God. One of my dictionaries says that it means to bow down deeply or to be humbled. And I really like that definition because that definition emphasizes the, the, the nature of our hearts in bowing down before the Lord. Shecha, worship, is to bow, to humble your heart before the Lord and to sometimes express that humility physically with your body. But the main thing is that your heart is humbled before God. That is the dominant word that's that's used in the Old Testament for worship. In the New Testament, there is one main word for worship, and it is proskuneo. Proskuneo means the exact same thing that shecha means. It means to bow the body down, to express by attitude, and possibly by physical position, one's allegiance to and regard for deity. So again here, what's being emphasized is the humility of a heart that humbles itself before God and sometimes expresses that humility by physically bowing the body down. In light of the biblical words used to describe worship, here's the picture of what worship is that I think emerges. Two things. Number one, the basis for true worship is that God is infinitely superior to us and we are infinitely inferior to Him. That's the basis of worship. That's the context in which worship takes place. God is infinite. We are finite. God is the creator of all things. We are created. God is the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. He is the creator of all things and He is the completer of all things. We are utterly dependent on that God for every breath we breathe, for every day we live, for the sight in our eyes, for the hearing in our ears. He is utterly independent. We are utterly dependent upon Him. God is incalculably strong and we are weak. God is immeasurably rich. And we are poor. God is divine. We are the branches. And without Him, we are nothing. Without Him, we can do nothing. The absolute superiority of God is the basis of worship. His supremacy over all things is what creates the context for worship. And this leads us to the second thing. The essence of true worship is both awe and humility. So, the basis of worship is that God is infinitely greater than us. The essence of what worship is, is both awe and humility. True worship is a holy fear of God that's born of seeing something of the sheer magnitude of who He is. The more that your vision of how great and magnanimous God is the more a sense of fear and trembling and awe will strike your heart. If you have never literally, physically trembled at the presence of God, it's because you probably haven't caught sight of the magnitude of God. He is massive and He is powerful. And true worship is awe in the heart about who God is. True worship is a sense of astonishment at the beauty of His glory. And it's a sense of of being enthralled with Him and captivated by Him and drawn to Him just like a moth is drawn to a flame. You just can't help but be sucked in. You want to be near Him. You want to know Him. You want to explore Him. You want to know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. I want to know God and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, Paul said. That's worship. It's an awe that leads us to draw near to God and want more and more and more of God. And other things just fade away from us. God becomes big! and other things become small. That's worship. In its essence, worship is awe, and also it is humility. Worship is bowing our hearts before the Lord in light of who He is. It's a willingness to let go of the things of the world and grasp onto the things of God because of their all-sufficient value. It's a disposition to give thanks to God always and for everything because we know that He is God and we are not. He has absolute sway over all circumstances and therefore He has some purpose in everything He lets us go through. Even hailstorms. Even tornadoes. Everything God allows has a purpose. And the worshipful person humbles himself before God and says, Amen. You are everything. I am nothing. I deserve nothing from you. Every comfort from you to me is a mercy. And I praise you. I give thanks to you for all things, always and for everything. That is the heart of worship. True worship is submitting ourselves to this great God and displaying that submission by submitting to one another. The essence of true worship is awe and it is humility. Awe in the heart is most often expressed by singing and otherwise praising God. Humility in the heart is most often expressed by submission. So when you think awe, think singing. When you think humility, think submission. In fact, when I think of worship, I like to picture a coin, a two-sided coin. One side of the coin is called praise. And that side represents the awe that we feel toward God, the sense of enthrallment we have in God that causes praise to fling off of our lips. The other side of that coin is called submission. And this side represents the humility in our hearts before the Lord that causes us to bow our bodies before Him and bow our lives before Him and trust Him enough to do what He asks us to do. Praise on one side, submission on the other side. Praise is the expression of awe. Submission is the expression of humility. And taken together, both of those things describe the essence of worship. Praise, submission, awe, humility. That is the heart of worship. And if you want to grow in your life of worship this summer and how I pray that you do, How I pray that this morning, God will plant a seed in every one of your hearts to say, Father, I want to grow in my life of worship. If you want that, if you want to grow in awe of God and humility before God, then here's what I would suggest. Spend the bulk of your time focusing on the submission side of the coin, and the praise side of the coin will flourish. Spend the bulk of your time focusing on being obedient before the Lord and submitting your life before Him by doing what you know He's calling you to do. And I promise you, in time, the praises of God will rise up from your heart and fling out of your mouth. It won't take much at all to get your heart singing to God. In fact, I remember once some time ago, I went into an elevator and there was some silly elevator music, but it was a praise song. And it just set my heart on fire. When you're living a life of obedience before the Lord, that's all you need. A little bit of elevator music in the distance, and boom, there goes your heart into worship. If I can change the metaphor here a little bit, let's think about it this way. Submission is the soil in which the garden of praise grows. Submission is the soil in which the garden of praise grows. If that soil is contaminated with disobedience and with pride, and with self-will, then the garden of praise will not sprout forth, it will not grow, because it will be poisoned. But if that soil is well-tilled, well-taken care of, by humility, by obedience, by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, then I promise you, in time, the garden of our praise will sprout It will grow and it will bear 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold for the glory of our Father and the good of others and the joy of our own souls. There can be no garden without the soil, and there can be no praise without submission. There is no garden without the soil, and there is no praise without submission. So, if you want to grow in these things, and I hope that you do, my advice is to focus the majority of your attention on submitting yourself to the Father and obeying Him. And in time, in time, the garden of your praise will grow. To worship God is to exalt Him with our lips and to honor Him with our lives. It's to express our, our, our songs in praise and it is to obey what He commands. And since Ephesians five eighteen to 21 covers both sides of this coin... Since it addresses both the soil and the garden, I feel justified in putting the word worship over all that. And I feel very excited as I think about spending the next three months with you thinking about these things, meditating on these things, seeking to stir these things up in one another and, and, and live these things. I can't wait to see what God will do with this church over this summer. I promise you, He is going to put a mark on us that will never leave for the glory of His name. And here's the basic plan that I have for the summer. Next week, Lord willing, I want to talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul said, he commanded us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a lot of confusion about what that means in the body of Christ. And so I want to spend a whole sermon just talking about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after that, I just want to work through all four things that Paul laid out here for us. To sing or to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to sing and make melody to the Lord in our hearts, to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to talk in detail about all four of those things, and of course, along the way, address a whole host of topics as the Lord allows. As for today, I want to take the rest of our time to answer this question, about another 15 minutes. And here's the question. What role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of worship? And I'll tell you where this question is coming from. I simply just asked the question of the text, Paul, why did you mention the Holy Spirit here? In Ephesians, I think the Holy Spirit's mentioned six or eight times, somewhere in that range. And I just wondered, why in 5.18 does the Spirit come up? And I think it has to do with the part He plays in worship. And so I put the question this way. What role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of worship? I have four answers to give. Number one, the Spirit seals believers and guarantees our inheritance in Christ. Please turn with me to Ephesians 1.13. 1.13. The Spirit seals believers and guarantees our inheritance in Christ. In Him, that is Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. In the Greek language, that word seal means to mark or to brand something or someone to express ownership over that thing. And so the picture is that when you came to Christ, and when I came to Christ, the Father put His mark upon us. He branded us. And the brand He put on us is the Holy Spirit Himself. It's not just a symbol, it's a person. And that person was made to dwell in your heart by faith and that person's name is the Holy Spirit. He sealed you. He asserted ownership over you. And in doing that, He guaranteed your inheritance in Christ. The giving of the Holy Spirit finalizes, if you will, the transaction that takes place between God and the sinner where the sinner's sin is exchanged for the righteousness of Christ and where on that basis the sinner is granted access To God Almighty, where the sinner is reconciled to God based on the work of the Son. And the Holy Spirit guarantees, guarantees that no one will ever reverse the transaction. He guarantees that that sinner will now forever and ever and ever be a beloved child of God in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit forever forges the relationship between the Creator and the created, between the Redeemer and the redeemed, between the one who is worshipped and the worshiper. And in so doing, He forever seals the basic context for worship to happen, in which worship happens. And that context is a relationship between God the Father Almighty and now us, His beloved children so the first thing the spirit does is he seals us and he guarantees our inheritance and he creates the context for worship because he creates a relationship with us between God the father and us on the basis of what the son did number 2 the holy spirit mediates our access to god i get this in ephesians 2:18 ephesians 2:18 he mediates our access to god For through Him, that is Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And here's the picture I think Paul's trying to paint. Before we were in Christ, Paul has told us that we were alienated from God, we were cut off from Him, we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. It was a grim, grim picture. But once we believed in Jesus Christ and looked to Him for the forgiveness of our sins, Christ reconciled us to the Father on the basis of His work on the cross. And now, through simple belief in Jesus Christ and His authoritative work, as I said during communion, we have access to God Almighty. Every day of your life, every moment of your life, if you're a believer, you have access to God in Christ. And the thing that I want us to see here in Ephesians 2.18 is that this access is mediated for us by the Holy Spirit. And here's what I mean. The role of the Holy Spirit is to escort the children of God into the presence of God based on the work that the Son has done. So there is the Father ready to be worshipped, waiting to be worshipped. Here is the Son creating the possibility of our access to Him. And along comes the Holy Spirit and actually escorts us into the presence of the Father. And this is crucial for worship. Because as I said, the essence of worship is both awe and its humility. And both of those things are born as we catch a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It is the sight of God that births worship. And believe me, every time you see something of the beauty of the being of God, it is the Holy Spirit that has allowed you to see that. He has escorted you into the presence of the Father and allowed for that transaction, that experience to take place. Third thing, the Holy Spirit knits together the body of Christ and I get this from chapter 2 verse 22 in him that is Christ you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit two thoughts here worship is not just an individualistic activity worship is a body-wide activity We were not created in Christ just for the sake of private, personal worship. As important as that is. It's a crucial part of our walk with Christ. But we were created in Christ to worship God together as a people. Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, some from all of those built together into a temple for God to worship Him. We were built together to worship God as A people. And that leads to point number two. God is knitting together the body of Christ so that one day, we as a people will actually be the temple of God. We will actually be the house in which God dwells. And one thing that that implies is that worship is the eternal destiny of the gathered people of God. And how I pray that you're hearing that this morning. Worship is no peripheral part of the life in Christ. It's no peripheral part of the life of the church. Worship is the eternal destiny of the gathered people of God as we are made into a holy temple in God. And He is dwelling in us and we are seeing Him, in awe of Him, humbled before Him, singing to Him, submitting to Him forever and ever and ever as a people. This is our destiny. And what I want us to see this morning is that God is knitting us together and marching us toward this destiny by means of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is taking the needles in His hands, so to speak, and knitting the body together. He's doing it. And therefore, He's creating the proper context for worship, which is the church. It is the church. Number four, and finally, the Spirit mediates to us the power of God, and that power enables us to behold God and to comprehend something of God and to be filled with all the fullness of God. I get this from Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 3. So if you'll turn there with me to chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory... that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The essence of true worship is awe and humility, and these things are born in us as we catch a sight of God. These things are born in us as God in Christ comes very near to us. In fact, nearer than we can imagine. In fact, He dwells inside of us and communes with us as Father to beloved children. And again, one more time, what I want us to see here in Ephesians 3 is that it is the Spirit of God who empowers us to behold the glory of God. It is the Spirit of God who strikes awe in our hearts about God and strikes humility in our hearts about God so that we will praise Him and so that we will submit to Him. It is the Spirit of God who enables us not only to see something of God, but actually to comprehend something of what we're seeing. There are several prominent teachers in the evangelical church today, mostly in what's being called the emergent church, that are teaching that God is absolutely mysterious and that therefore He is not knowable or comprehensible to the human mind. It's impossible for a believer or anyone else to truly know God because He's so great, so infinitely vast, and so mysterious. And of course, to some extent, I agree with them. Of course, God is vast beyond our ability to comprehend. Amen? I spend time, from time to time, thinking about the universe, and I can't even get my mind around how big this universe is, much less the God who holds the whole thing in the palm of His hand. I'll grant them that. God is vast. And in some ways, God is incomprehensible. In some ways, we will never be done searching the glories of God and discovering who our Father is. That's why we need eternity. It will take forever to explore the glories of God. Imagine if you had a ship that would allow you to explore every planet in the universe. In the whole universe. How long would it take you? Really. If you went to every corner of every planet in the entire universe, it would take you eternity, right? Well, think about how long it will take you to explore the beauty of God. So I would never stand here and say that we can understand everything there is to be understood about God and we can put Him in a little box, write a theology book about it, and enough will be said. I would not say that. And I will grant them the point that God is mysterious. But... What these brothers and sisters of ours are missing, and they're missing it tragically, is that the Spirit of God makes possible what is impossible with us. He makes that possible for us. He makes God in measure comprehensible to us. The Spirit of God causes the children of God not only to perceive their Father, but to understand something of who He is. And their comprehension is real. And what I mean by that is the comprehension we have of God by means of the Bible accords with who God actually is. And therefore, we can say things about God with confidence because we believe that He's revealed Himself and the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to comprehend these things. And here's what I want us to see. That comprehension is not an end in itself. That comprehension is the birthplace of worship. You will worship God when you gain eyes to see something of the reality and the beauty and the glory and the magnitude of God. And so that's why the Spirit helps you to know Him. He wants you to know Him so that you'll bow before Him. So that your heart will be filled with awe and humility. It's the Holy Spirit who does this. So, in summary... What role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of worship? Only this. Only this. He guarantees the conditions for worship by sealing us for God. Two, He creates the possibility of worship by escorting us into the presence of God based on the work of the Son. Number three, He fashions the context for worship by knitting together the body of Christ. And creating out of us a dwelling place for God. And finally, number four, He empowers us to worship by enabling us to behold and comprehend God and to be filled with all the fullness of God. And who can imagine the greatness and the privilege of this work that the Holy Spirit does? Who can imagine what it means for us literally, physically to be dwelling places for God together? Who can take that in? But that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now next week, I want to tie all that together by talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because often in our day, I think when you hear a person filled with the Spirit, what comes to mind is things like tongues or what have you. And I think it's sad that we go there, because tongues is such an infinitesimally small thing. It really is. It's really nothing. The big thing is that being filled with the Holy Spirit causes everything I've just been summarizing to happen. And so next week, we're going to talk about that at length, and not just to understand it with our minds, but hopefully to experience that ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But for now, let's lift up our souls to our Father by means of the Spirit. Father, how can we possibly thank You for what You have done for us in Christ? How deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he would send his only son to make a wretch his treasure thank you father for making a way for us to be reconciled to you in the life of your son and thank you for giving us the holy spirit that seals us for you that guarantees our inheritance in you that escorts us into your presence that knits us together as a people, that inflames worship by causing you to dwell in our hearts. Oh, Father, thank you so much for all of these great and gracious gifts to us. And I pray with all my heart that these things would not just be ideas that we've studied here and go on about our day and forget. How I pray that you would work these things deep into our hearts, into our minds, into our manners of life, And how I pray that thereby You would shape and mark this church for generations to come. Father, we are Your people and You are our God. Please lead us in the way that we should go and do great things for the glory of Your name and the joy of our souls in You. In Your great and gracious name we pray. Amen.